This is episode 405 of the AWS podcast, released on November 5th, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast, Sam Lynch here with you. Great to have you back and I'm joined by Tony Gibbs who's a specialist SA specialising in a brand new service, Amazon Timestream. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Uh, thank you very much, Simon. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you for coming on board to talk about something a little bit different and maybe something that uh, a lot of folks may have heard of but not necessarily worked with. Um, let's start with the basics. You know, what's a time series database and what are the primary use cases for it? Yeah, so time series, I'll start out first to just talking a little bit about what time series data is. And I'll jump in those use cases there. So time series data is really, it's a sequence of data points. You usually, uh, some sort of measurement that's taken, usually over a regular interval of time, although it can, uh, you know, be kind of random or irregular intervals as well. But it's where we're measuring something like, what could be like the speed of a car, for example, you know, speed, RPM, that sort of thing. Or it could even be totally other things like stock market data, for example, like, you know, what the price is of a stock at some given time. And, you know, along with that, maybe even like the um, volume of trades that go along with it. So that's, that's what time series data is. So a time series database is, in our case, TimeStream, uh, which is uh, a database that's designed for purpose built for storing this type of data and querying this data at scale. The primary use cases, IoT data is one of the primary ones. You know, it's just typically sensors that might be measuring things like temperature and humidity and that sort of thing and sending that data maybe up through AWS IoT, for example, on some regular um, interval of time. Then other use cases that are really common for this these time series workloads are um, like DevOps data, for example. Uh, this might be like maybe monitoring a, a fleet of EC2 instances for an application where you want to you know keep keep tabs on things like CPU utilization and memory and how much maybe network bandwidth these things are consuming. Um, those are kind of two of the primary ones. We have had some customers using TimeStream for things like clickstream analysis. And again, that's kind of like one of those interval irregular measurements, you know, as someone's clicking through a series of web pages and kind of keeping track of that session as it progresses, maybe from, you know, the landing page all the way through to purchasing an item, for example, on the site. So, so help us understand, I guess, you know, why we needed a different database for this. Because if I sort of step back and go, if, if someone gave me that as a, you know, as a, as a um, functional requirement, you know, store time series information, I could, you know, grab a relational database and create a honking big table. Uh, I could grab something like DynamoDB yeah. and create a, a highly scalable performant honking great table. Um, what are some of the attributes of, of time series databases and, and time stream in particular that really distinguish it as why you'd pull that out of the toolbox? Yeah, um, no, that's a really great question. Uh, traditionally in the past, we probably would have started with a relational database. Uh, in fact, actually a lot of customers are using relational databases for this type of workload even today. Um, as you know, relational databases, they only scale so far. Uh, you know, I, I know we just recently announced that Aurora now supports up to 128 terabytes. But, you know, you're really kind of stuck at scaling these things vertically. Not like a, most relational databases don't scale horizontally. And even the ones that do, though, you still have to manage things like DDL. So, you know, you're creating a table and you need to define the columns and the data types and all of that sort of thing in a typical relational database. 
And yeah, that can be cumbersome if you say like, for example, uh, imagine I have an IOT sensor, for example, and I deploy a new version of it. And that new version is sending some additional, uh, maybe some additional items or in pieces of information along. You'd have to make sure you go to your database and alter the table and add those columns. And you're going to have to make sure the data types are all correct and match up. So in a purpose-built database like TimeStream, you don't need to define all of that up front. You can have your devices sending the data. We'll figure out, you know, what those data types are and that sort of thing. And make sure it's saved correctly so you don't need to manage us and stuff. And on the other side of it, you brought DynamoDB, which obviously you have all that flexibility of, like, not needing to define the schema and all that kind of thing. However, a solution like DynamoDB, while it's really good for storing those, like, um, probably near those real-time data and pulling data points out really quickly, it doesn't have functions in it to, say, aggregate data. So if you ask DynamoDB, hey, I want to, you know, get the sum of this over some period of time, you're going to, it can't do that. You're going to have to pull those data points out and, you know, take care of that somewhere else. So we have some customers that have built time, their own time series solutions using like kind of a combination of things like DynamoDB along with a relational database or maybe another tools like Athena and Redshift and that sort of thing. And it's a lot of work to kind of manage multiple databases and send queries to the correct engine and that sort of thing. So those are some of the reasons that we had customers coming to us asking for a better solution. And that's how TimeStream really kind of came to be is based on these asks from customers. And it really is a specific uh, sort of class of problem. And and I think one of the interesting things about uh, Amazon TimeStream is is the way compute and storage management works, which is, you know, the, the compute is serverless, so we're not sort of sizing databases. And the storage management is also really flexible. Maybe, maybe talk a bit about that because I think there's a real uh, – it's a different use case, as you mentioned, with time series information is you've got that long tail – that you may often query, and that doesn't fit into performant or non-performant as easily as, as uh, in a relational database. Um, yeah, so in TimeStream is fully decoupled. You know, we're from the compute, from the storage, even our ingestion and our query layers are actually decoupled. But we can talk about that later. The the thing with what we did with the storage side of TimeStream that is really unique is is that we have an in-memory layer in TimeStream. And then we also have a magnetic disk layer as well. And what happens is it allows you to set lifecycle policies and the amount of time that you want data to reside within each of those uh, storage layers. So you could say, for example, set like a one day of retention on the in-memory layer and maybe seven years for compliance reasons or something on the magnetic tier. And what happens is as you're writing data into time stream, that the data will land into the you know, first into the in-memory tier, and then we'll age that over. And one of the things that we did that was really interesting is that each of these tiers are actually designed for different types of queries. So when we were talking about those uh, queries earlier about, like, maybe you're hitting DynamoDB, for example, and pulling data points out, that's like the type of query that our in-memory layer is really good at. Whereas if you were, you know, wanting to run like a, what's going to look like a traditional report, for example, where you're querying data that's going to scan over maybe like a month over month or something like that. That's what our magnetic disk here is designed for. So yeah, we have these two different layers. You don't need to specify any parameters to the query. We have what we call an adaptive query engine that keeps track of where your data is. You write the query and the query will pull the data from each of those two layers 
and seamlessly stitch them together so the end user doesn't need to be aware of when they're querying the data where the data actually resides. That's very cool. And we'll get more into the query side, but before we can query any data, we've got to get some data in. Um, and we talked about some of the, the novel data sources, you know, things like uh, you know, millions of IT devices or social media streams or uh, manufacturing data as well, you know, lots of different types of machinery and formats, et cetera. How do we get data into Amazon Timestream? Yeah, so you have a few different options. The first one is, is uh, we have all the AWS SDKs, which are available in various languages like Python and Java and um, .NET and such. And then uh, we also do, we have native support that uh, the IoT core team has added for TimeStream. So the IoT core rules, the rules engine can send data also into TimeStream. So those are the two primary ways. However, um, we have added some really nice sample code onto GitHub for a few different connectors. Telegraph is commonly used a lot of times in DevOps data, for example. And so we have a connector for Telegraph. And then we also have another connector for Apache Flink that's compatible with Kinesis Data Analytics, which is another one of our serverless services. And Apache Flink allows you to pull data in from, it has connectors, for example, for Kinesis and Kafka and RabbitMQ and others. And we have a sync that we've written as well that's available on GitHub that allows you to pull data from those and send that data off to TimeStream as well. So those are kind of the main ways that we have customers uh, putting data into TimeStream. And so once we have it in there, you know, do I have to learn a new, a new query language or how do I, how do I access it? Yeah, it, it's standard SQL. So we didn't want to have to create a new, you know, query language or anything like that. So it's standard anti SQL for the most part. And we've added in and layered on uh, some extra functionality onto that, mainly for time series type use cases around uh, gap filling specifically. So these interpolation functions. So if you have missing data points because maybe an IoT device missed sending a couple of data points, we're able to fill those in at query time as well if you, you know, were to specify and use those functions. So I don't have to learn anything new. I can dust off my trusty SQL skills and uh, I can get right into it. Exactly. And we, from the feedback we've had from customers is that they, they like that they don't have to learn something new and proprietary. It's just, you know, the, the SQL that we've, uh, I guess, like you said, dust off those SQL skills. But, yeah, it's, it's all standard SQL. We, we support a broad array of windowing functions and aggregates, approximate functions, all that sort of thing. I think last count there was well over 250 functions that are supported in TimeStream. Very nice. And, and what about performance? Like, is you know, I, I guess uh, – the sense I get is this is like a sort of thoroughbred database that's designed to do, uh, you know, a, a, to address a set of problems really, really well. Does that come with performance benefits in terms of query speed and, and that kind of stuff? Yeah, and, and the nice thing is, is because there's those two different layers, depending on your, you know, query patterns, we're able to address those, those needs. So the in-memory tier being performant for those narrow queries that are really kind of pulling out small slivers of data quickly. And then having that magnetic tier, which is optimized in high speed for the analytics queries, right? Like the ones that are really going to be um, going over large portions of data. And again, all of this is scalable. So because it is serverless, there's not, nothing to configure it as far as, you know, how many IOPS or anything like that at all, or how many read units or write units. Timestream behind the scenes 
scales to meet those needs, both on the ingestion side and on the query side, where they're you know completely decoupled from uh, one another. And help us understand a bit more about security. You know, is is there encryption? How do I control who accesses the database? All that good stuff. Yeah, security uh, is number one in AWS, and TimeStream is everything is encrypted both in flight and at rest. There's no options to turn off encryption. Uh, when you create a database, you it's, a, it's the only option other than giving the database a name is to select a KMS key. So you'll select your KMS key, give the database a name, and then all of the data in TimeStream is encrypted. We like encryption, and, and it's interesting seeing things shift over time to where you know, encryption used to be an add-on and sometimes an expensive add-on from a price and performance perspective to a situation now where, well, that's just how it is. <laughs> you don't have to choose. Exactly, yes. It's, it's not just on by default. It's, it's always on. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so this service has been, been sort of in the works for a while and we've been talking with customers about it for a long time, but it is now generally available. And as part of that, there's also a service level agreement. Uh, it provides 99.99% availability, which is, I think, really uh, suitable for the types of use cases that we're looking at. I guess, um, Tony, give us a taste of what some customers have been doing with this technology and some stories they have to tell. Yeah, so, yeah, we've had actually quite a few customers, or we have a lot of customers that were involved in the preview, to name a handful of them. Cake, for example, was one of the customers that they were, they were instrumental in helping us, for example, giving us a lot of feedback early in the preview, uh, worked closely with them and with their use case. Um, Guardian Life was another customer we worked closely with as well. And on the IoT side of things, we had Trimble. who really kind of helped us out a lot there, you know, with just their monitoring use case that they had. And they found TimeStream quite useful. Yeah, it's interesting how this is really, I think, going to apply to a lot of different use cases. And probably like many of the services we build, we, we build them with a lot of customer feedback and guidance and we, we put them out there. But then uh, a whole range of new customers come along and say, hey, we can do this with it or that with it. And uh, I'm sure you're excited to hear the feedback and, and the suggestions for the next capabilities. Yeah, it's really exciting to have just recently released TimeStream. And we, you know, already working with customers going forward, you know, we're continuing to improve and iterate based on the feedback that we're getting from customers. So if there are features that you're looking for, please let us know. 95% of our roadmap is driven by the customers, including the ones in our preview. But if you weren't in our preview, you know, we want to hear from you and understand your use case going forward and know how we can meet your needs. Absolutely. Tony, uh, sounds like a, it's, been a, it's been a great ride. It's always exciting to release something new for customers and, uh, and, and see the response. So um, uh, I think you're in for a busy time for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, and sharing all the information. Uh, we really appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at Amazon.com is the place for that. And until next time, keep on building.